Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. This morning, we're going to look at a passion for the gospel. And it's following on from what Dave brought last week about going all in for the gospel. See, the gospel is something that is so powerful that that it's all-inclusive in that anyone can come in, but then it is completely exclusive in that it is all about Jesus. It's not then, you can't just take your pick from all the different things, it's all about Jesus. And uh, we started off this series really talking about happiness and how to, how to be happy in life. And I want to sum up what it kind of means to be happy in three different categories. And some of you will have heard these before. And those are satisfaction, security, and significance. See, everything that you want in life falls under one of those categories. Either it's about being satisfied, because none of us want to walk around unsatisfied. If you've ever gone you know, to somebody's house before and, and, and they're putting a meal on for you and you still feel hungry at the end, you feel like, oh, that's a bit annoying. Um, and uh, so we want to feel satisfied in life. We want to feel secure. We want there to be a security. And often we, we put our security in various different things, our family, our friends, our finances, the three Fs of security. Um, but really, our security comes from God. It, you know, we cannot put our security in, in physical things. And our significance, you know, what we do, we want it to make a difference. Whether that's in your job, whether you've got a business, whether um, that's in your family, you want what you do in life to be significant. You want it to make a change. Even in like a conversation with somebody, you want to add something to that conversation that then makes a change. So these three things, satisfaction, security, and significance, are what we want in life. They're the things that we desire, and God's created us that way because he wants to fulfill all three categories. He doesn't want us to fulfill those by chasing after various different things. He himself will fulfill all three categories. And in Philippians, Paul gives us so many keys to live in a life that is satisfied, secure, and significant. In uh, Philippians 4, 12 to 13, Paul says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's amazing, isn't it? For a guy who, who has had it all, he was one of the top people in his, in his school, and he was like one of the top in that area in terms of he was a, a teacher of the law, he was a, um, a Pharisee, and uh, so he, he was top of the game, and he'll have, he'll have had plenty of money. He'll have had all that kind of stuff. And he says, I know what it's like to live like that. But he's writing this from prison. So he says, I also know what it's like to live like this. I'm currently in chains. I currently don't have my friends. I don't have my family. I don't have any finances. But I know what it is to feel satisfied. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He knows what it's like to feel secure. In uh, Philippians 1.19 He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. His security is not in what I can do in this situation. He's not saying, yeah, I know how to get out of this prison. I know how to get out of these chains. He's saying, no, I'm I'm secure because I know you guys are praying for me. 
And I know that the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is what is going to get me out of this situation, or it will turn out for my deliverance. And Paul knows that his life will be significant. The following verses in, in chapter 1 say, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way uh, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He knows his life's significant. And I know that if I was in prison, I'd be thinking, right, my life's over. Like, that's it. My life is not going to count for anything. People have forgotten about me. I'm, I'm gone now. But he says, I know that my life's going to be significant. So there's three things this morning on a, a passion for the gospel. And the first one is a passion for prayer. And Paul believed in prayer. You can see that when he's writing to people from prison. He's saying, I know because you pray for me. That gives me confidence. Whereas, you know, I, I sometimes think, like, somebody's praying for me. I'll be like, that's all right. I think, no, it gives him confidence. He says, you know, um, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance because people are praying for me. He is passionate about prayer. See, being a Christian is not just going to church on a Sunday and going to a dinner party on a Thursday, going to church on a Sunday, going to dinner party on a Thursday. If that's Christianity, that, I wouldn't sign up for that. I don't know if you would. That's just, that's like, that's just life with like Christianity tagged on to the end. It's like a little bit extra. Now, Christianity, being a Christian, is like, it's a whole new life. You know, Aladdin said, it's a whole new world. <laughs> it's, uh, I was watching it last night. It's awesome, that film. I love it. A whole new world. It's not, a, you know, we're not promising a bed of roses, but we're promising that you can overcome with God's help. Who wants to live in a bed of roses? Yeah, you'd feel a bit of a prick, wouldn't you? Oh, oh, oh. Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. See, Paul lived his faith as an encounter with God. He didn't live it as in like, oh yeah, just read a bit of the Word and then, you know, I get on with my daily life, I get on with my daily chores in prison or whatever that would be. No, he lives it out as a, as a power encounter. He says, I will experience God. That's, that's what his, that is what his life is about and that is what being a Christian is about. It's not about just getting in information and sitting through a talk and then thinking, that was nice or that was entertaining or whatever. See, I want to go where my faith matters and not my will be done, but his. Like, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, he says, not my will, but yours. And he's going to a place where faith matters. He's going to a place where he's saying, like, actually, God, this is in your hands, not in my hands. And sometimes we need that extra strength. Often we feel weak. I was sat in the gym this morning, and I was trying to lift dumbbells that were way too heavy for me. And I, I, I tried three times, and I was hoping no one was watching, because I got to here, and then I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I can do this, I can do this, I <laughs> so I then dropped two kilos and I was like, yeah, I feel strong again. Um, but we do. So often we feel weak in life. We feel like, I can't do this anymore. 
And, and it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be in weakness, and that sounds strange because you, you'd think it'd be a good place to feel where you feel strong and you feel in control and you feel like you can crack on in life and everything's going to go hunky-dory. But actually, it's better to feel weak because that's when God turns up. See, that's when God turns up into your life, when you feel like you can't keep going and you call out to God and he gives you that strength to keep going. See, information does not equal transformation. So you can sit here every week in church and you can hear the messages and the, the great messages because it's from the Word of God, which is powerful. Jesus described it as food. It's like you've got Sunday dinner early today because you're eating food. You're getting the Word of God in you. But is it just information? Is it just another talk? Is it just another message that came and you thought, oh, that was good, or, oh, yeah, I saw that slightly different. Oh, I've heard that before. Because for Jesus, this was, this was you know, when, when Jesus was in the desert and he was tempted by the devil to turn uh, a rock into bread, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but from the very word from the mouth of God. And when we hear God's word, when we, when we take it in, it, it creates a new direction for us. David described it in Psalm 119, verse 105. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And that can sound like poetry and it can sound all kind of airy-fairy. What he's saying, he says, I'm lost without you. I'm lost without your word. If I don't get your word in me, I don't know which way to go. And David was one of the greatest kings that this world has ever seen. He, he was one of the greatest. And yet he said, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Ouch. <laughs> you know, so many times I've listened to a thought and thought, oh yeah, that was really good. I really like the way that that was explained or, or whatever. Oh, that was really funny this morning or whatever. And I'm just deceiving myself because actually the word is there to be done. It's there to be uh, applied in our life. It's, you know, this word this morning that you get will actually, it should change the direction of your life this week. It should give you new steps to walk down because you think, right, I've heard. I've heard from God's word this morning. I've heard God's word, and God's word said this, so therefore I'm going to do that this week. It's not like, oh yeah, talk was good on Sunday, but I'm just, I'm just going to crack on with my life like nothing happened on Sunday. I've done it so many times. So what did Paul pray for? Because he was passionate about prayer, because he knew that it changes situations. It says in Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and this is my prayer, that your love, he's talking about other people, may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So he's saying, I want, I want your love to increase for other people. He says, I want, I want you to be able to discern what's best, as in I want you to make wise choices in your life. I want you to make the right choices. I want you to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He says, I want you to live with integrity. Not just kind of just doing what you think is best or trying to cut corners. Yes, I want you to live with integrity, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I want you to become more like Jesus. See, that challenged me. When I read that, I thought, I need to reprioritize how I pray. <laughs> As often when I pray, it's in a desperate situation where I'm thinking, God, I just need more money. That's generally the one I go for. <laughs> or, God, I just need this situation to change for me. 
Paul starts, in, and he's in prison. He's not exactly like living the high life thinking like, all right, I've got to the point in my life now where I'm really doing well, so I can just pray for other people all the time, because that's how I would think. I would think like, yeah, when I get successful, you know, it's like when Matt was saying the other week, like, when this, then that. When I get to this point, then I'll be happy. When, when, when I've got lots of money, then I'll start praying for lots of people to get their money, because then I'm sorted. Paul's in prison. He's not like, his prayer isn't to them like, oh God, please get me out of prison. He's saying, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that your love may abound. And I listen to my kids pray, and often they'll pray, you know, that James's general prayer is, God, just make tomorrow as good as today, or make tomorrow a really good day, or whatever. And he's just thinking about himself. Selfish little brat. Um, <laughs> but then I realize, I pray like this. <laughs> I've not grown up. I pray like my kids pray. I pray that God's going to make me successful, going to make me wealthy, going to give me loads of money. I think Paul prayed for other people. He reprioritized his prayer life, and he prayed for other people first. The second point is this. It's a passion for Jesus. Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As in, for me to live is to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. And when I die, that's a gain for me because then I get to be with Jesus. This is how he thought. Most of us think to live is gain and to die is Christ. To live, I will, I, will get as, I will get on in life. I will do as much as I can. I will make lots of money. I will make lots of friends. I'll make people laugh or whatever. And then when I die, that will then be all about Jesus because then I'm dead. That's how most of us think. Am I right? Yeah, good. There's a few honest people. <laughs> That's how we think. But Paul's experience of Jesus left him ruined for the ordinary. He says, I can't just live an ordinary life now. Even though he's in prison. Even though he's in chains and he's in prison and it looks like, well, what can you do, Paul? He says, my life's going to be significant. And it was. He wrote most of the New Testament, which billions of people have read and applied in their life. It's, he lived an amazing life. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. As in, God is to be experienced. He is not just an academic subject. He is not just something to learn about on a Sunday and think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know lots about God now. He's to be experienced. He's, to be, he, he's somebody that wants relationship with you. You know, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules that we can just follow and then think, yep, I'm a good Christian now. I've done all the different things. Because if you try and keep the law, as in what was set by Moses, you will fail straight away. <laughs> we all will. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can do it. So it's not just a religion. God wants a relationship with you. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, or resourced is the man, or prosperous is the man who trusts in him. See, God wants you to trust in him. Not trust in your own circumstances, in your own strength, in your own situation. He says, trust in me, and then you'll see the blessing. So we have to feed our passion. We have to grow in it, which means, like anything that you want to get better at, you have to feed it. And we feed it through the Word of God. We feed it by telling people about church, by telling people about Jesus, by sharing our faith with people. This verse came to me this week, and it was a bit strange that it did in the middle of Philippians, but it's in Joshua. And it's Joshua 24, verse 15. 
Joshua, if you don't know, was a guy in the Old Testament, and he was one of the spies that um, once Moses had led the people across uh, the Red Sea, and they'd parted the Red Sea, they'd walked across, and they were on the, the, the cusp, really, of the promised land of Canaan. And so Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan, to, to the promised land, to see what it's like. Ten of them came back and said, we can't go in there. There's, there's giants, there's, like, there's armies in there. There's, it's not just a walk in the park, this. We can't go in. Whereas two people, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, we can take it. We can, yes, there's giants in there, but our God is with us. And this is Joshua now at the end of his life. So he's led people all through his life now, and he's led them through loads of stuff. You know, they came through the Red Sea, but then um, Moses then died. After they'd been through the desert, he didn't make it into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb then led people into the promised land. They had to cross over the River Jordan. There was a miracle there. They walked around Jericho, um, and the, the walls came down. All this kind of stuff happened, and Joshua's reminding them all about, about it at the end of his life. He's 110 years old. Anyone in here over 100? No, so he's a little bit older than us. Okay, and, and you can still see the passion. And he's passionate about these people. And he says this, and it seems a strange message in one sense, because he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he, he says this to kind of point out that where you came from, they serve different gods, but where you're going to, they also serve different gods. So he says, where you, where you came from, uh, as in God wasn't number one. Uh, they, didn't, you know, they didn't follow God, the one and true God. And where you're going to, they don't follow God. See, where you're going to this week, in your workplace, in you know, wherever you are, people don't serve God. As in, like, it's not, um, unless you work for a church somewhere, um, then generally speaking, our workplaces they're not full of Christian people who are all like, yeah, we serve God. So we go into the world. And this is, Joshua said to him, says, but for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow. And he then goes on later on in Joshua, and he, you know, in this same speech that he's doing to these people, because they then say to him, he says, yeah, we'll serve, they say, their response is, yeah, we'll serve God. And uh, so Joshua says to them, he says, no, you can't. You'd think, like, you know, that doesn't sound very inspirational, Joshua. Surely you'd be saying, yes, you can, come on. He's saying, no, you can't do it. You can't serve God. God's a jealous God. You can't serve these other gods that you used to serve, and they still had these other gods, as in, like, um, statues and stuff of them in their midst. And he says, you can't do it, because if you serve other gods, God's a jealous God. And so you, you, can't, you can't do all this stuff, and you say you can, and then they're like, no, 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 we can. And then they remind Joshua of all the stuff that God's done for them. So then Joshua makes a covenant with God at that time. But the point of this is really that for these people to move forward, because Joshua knew he's at the end of his life. He's 110 years old. He's not got a lot of life left in him. And he's, he's basically trying to pass on to these people. He says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But what about you? He says, because you can't do these other things. He says, you've got to cut ties with your past. And for these people, he says, right, if you're going to say that you're going to serve God, he says, I want you to throw away all these other gods. Throw them away. Get rid of them from your camp. And they did. And actually, when you read it on, they, they served God 
for the time of, um, you know, Joshua's time was over, but the time that Joshua's leaders were in there, they all served God to the very end. And it's an amazing story, but it meant for them that they had to make a decision. They had to cut ties with their past. You cannot do... People say stuff like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do very well in life because my parents were on benefits, so therefore I'm going to live a life on benefits. You might have heard that before. Or my parents were alcoholics, so therefore I'm going to be an alcoholic. Or my parents always smoke, so I'm going to always smoke. Or whatever it is. And we tend to follow what's been placed before us. Whereas Joshua is saying here, he says, no, cut ties with that. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you say no to everything else. Like I said, it's all inclusive. Everyone's welcome. But then when you're in, it's all exclusive. It's all about Jesus. You can't just dabble in different things. It's not like we can come to church on a Sunday and then think, yeah, but what if that's wrong? Then, you know, I might go to the mosque on a Monday. I might go to the Buddhist temple on a Tuesday or whatever. And I know we don't do that. But we might go back to things that we used to do. We might go back to the way we used to live. Or, you know, in today's um, environment, people look for other spiritual things. They're like, well, I'll go to church, but then I'll also um, get tarot cards, or I'll, I'll read my horoscope, or I'll go and get my palms read. It's like, you can't do that. It's Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And there's an exclusivity when you come to Jesus. It's powerful, but you can't then dabble with the other things. So what is it today that you think, oh gosh, (laughs) there's some stuff I need to give up. And this isn't a condemnation message because when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you the power to overcome. It says in Romans 8 or 7, somewhere around there, you know, people are like, oh right, so now that there's grace, maybe we can just do all the stuff that we used to do and just get forgiven. He's like, no, why would you want to? You knew where that brought you. You knew what that did to you. And I look at my life and I look at my past and I look at the kind of stuff I was into and I think, that wasn't good for me. Why would I now that I've got Jesus think, oh yeah, it's a good idea just to go back to these because Jesus will just forgive me. It's like, no, that stuff ruined me. See, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. So whatever you come with this morning that you think that is just, yeah, yeah I, like, I like all this stuff, but actually this is just holding me back. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Whatever it is in your life, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's like, I just can't forgive this person for what they did, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. The third thing is that Paul had a passion for people. And again, I think of him in prison and I think like, surely you'd be wanting people. Like, this is how I think. And I've never been in prison. But I think like, if I was in prison, I'd expect that people to have a passion for me. As in people to visit me, people to look after me, people to bring me stuff. But I even think that when I'm not in prison, I think like, if I've just had a bad week, I just want sympathy. I just want like people to care about me and all this kind of stuff. Whereas Paul, in this situation, had a passion for people. He, he, did, he seemingly not bothered about himself. Seemingly, he's thinking, this is all going to work out because you guys are praying for me, so I'm going to be passionate about them. He says, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. 
And you think, oh, he's got a decision to make. Two different roads he could go down, whether he's going to be a brickie, whether he's going to be a plumber. No, not quite the two choices that Paul had. He says, I desire to, de to depart and be with Christ, as in like, I'm in prison. There's a good chance I'm going to die here. The prisons weren't nice. I'm not saying prisons are nice nowadays. Never been to one. I stressed that point a bit too much. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, in those days, people would die in prison. They weren't looked after. It wasn't like they had three meals a day or whatever. They, you know, he's basically saying, like, I desire to depart. I might as well, you know, I'm in prison. I've done my job. I've planted these churches. Um, actually, now it seems a good option just to kick the bucket, go to heaven with Jesus. So he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He's looking at his options and thinking, actually, I prefer this one, rather than being in prison. But he says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in this body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. He's, he's passionate about these people. He's passionate not just because they've become a Christian. He now wants them to grow in maturity in Christ. He wants them to grow in their faith. He wants them to have what he's got. He wants them to go and plant more churches. He wants them to go and spread the word. He, he's, he's not saying at this point, because he knows what he would prefer. And it's a strange thing, because none of us, maybe I'm, I'm not thinking that many of us have been in that situation where we think, actually, I'd just rather die now, because that seems like a better option. Maybe you have. I'm sorry if you have. But at this point, Paul's saying, like, actually, this is a better option if I were just to die now. But he says, but it is more necessary for you. He was passionate about the people. He was passionate about people getting it, growing in faith, passing on the word. So it wasn't based, his decision was then not based on his desire, but on what was necessary. He says, I'm convinced of this. He got a conviction from the Holy Spirit that is like, I know you want to die, Paul. <laughs> and, and believe me, at this point, Paul's been through all kinds of different stuff. He's been beaten up. He's been flogged, he's been thrown into prison, he's been shipwrecked. All this kind of stuff's gone on in his life. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, I know you want to die now, Paul. I know you think it's over, but not quite yet. And he's like, okay, <laughs> let's keep going. Another day. He weighed his decisions which was with what was most beneficial for the people, not for himself. And wouldn't the world be a better place if we all made our decisions based on that? Like, what's actually better for them? Before I say this, what's better for them? Before I respond in the way I want to respond. What's actually better for them? Before I send this text, what's better for them? If we made decisions like that, the world would be a better place, 100%. And that is what Paul did, because he loved them. It says in Philippians 2, 3 to 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves but not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. An amazing way to live our lives. And I'd, I was reading this this week, and I was thinking about it as I'm preparing to talk, and I was thinking, this sounds amazing. Like, if we all did this this week, as in if we all just considered others better than ourselves, and we thought, actually, I'm going to live my life as if, like, um, you know, I'm going to consider others better. I'm going to think of them because it's more necessary for them. Um, if I thought like that and if I behaved like that, that would be amazing. The truth is, we don't. The truth is, we do things out of vain conceit. We do things out of selfish ambition. We do. So why 
does Paul tell us to do it this other way? It's like, but Paul, I, you know, I love that. It sounds great, Paul. I love the way you've written that. It sounds really fancy. Um, but actually, no. Actually, I just want to do it my way. See, it's because we're infected by today's culture. See, today's culture says, look out for yourself first. Even worse than that, do whatever makes you happy. You'll have heard that said. You know when people give people advice? It's like, well, whatever makes you happy. Whatever's best for you. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says do whatever's best for them. So it's like, so how do we do this? We cannot just listen to this message this morning and think, right, I'm going to apply that in my life. Because guaranteed, what you'll do is you'll go to bed tonight. You'll have a nice sleep. You'll get up tomorrow. Someone will annoy you. You'll forget all this. <laughs> And then you'll just respond exactly the same way. So what is the key? See, it is essential that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, without God's Spirit, this is why Paul said, um, because of your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, without the Holy Spirit, that's him. <laughs> I queued that up. I said to God this morning, I said, when I mention the Holy Spirit, just throw thunder at us. So then they'll know. I'm joking, I didn't. I wish I did. <laughs> it was. See, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can actually do what it says in the Bible. Yeah. See, without the Holy Spirit, you can't. Without God's help, you can't. See, Christianity is not just attending church. It's not just going to a dinner party. It's not just getting on with your own life in your own strength and doing what you want to do. It's about a power encounter with God. See, when we worship, it says in the Bible that when two or three are gathered, God's there in our midst. He says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we were worshiping this morning, God was here. And God is here now. And this isn't like a, a super spiritual, like, oh, this is a bit weird, this is a bit freaky. No, this is normal. This is what God does. You know, you came to church this morning. I don't know if you just expected it just to be dull and boring. Because that would be weird, wouldn't it? Like, Oh, where God is, it's dull and boring. No, where God is, there's life. Where God is, there's purpose. Where God is, there's hope. Where God is, he inspires faith in people to attempt the impossible. See, when you go out this week and you go and talk to people and then you think like, oh yeah, that's what Sam said, and then you pray that God fills you with his Holy Spirit because you want to respond in the right way, then you can. But without it, you can't. See, information is not transformation. As good as this message is this morning, it will not change your life unless you apply it with God's help. See, if we're going to reach people, if we're going to spread the gospel, if we're going to go all in for the gospel, we can't just be same, same, but same. It's like, you know, you've heard like, oh, we're same, same, but different. But often we're just same, same, but same. <laughs> and with church tagged on the end, which makes us a bit boring. It's like, no, we need to be same, same, but different. And that difference is the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can work up yourself. It's not something like, oh, look at me, I've got a fantastic personality, therefore I'm different. There's loads of people out there with fantastic personalities. Put yours away for a second. <laughs> the same, same, but different. The difference is Jesus. The difference is the Holy Spirit. See, to live a life marked by the gospel of Jesus, to be passionate for the gospel, we need a passion for prayer. We need a passion for Jesus. And we need a passion for people. But you cannot work that up yourself. In Philippians 1.27, Paul
Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in what? In the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He says, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. See, we need God's Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot drum up enough self-belief and self-confidence to just go and be awesome people. The difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 